I don't know if it was so important to getting people to buy my book, but it was getting the message of the book into the world. If you look at the current society and things that you'd like to change, I think one way you can do that is by educating youth and gearing them in a different direction. That is one of the biggest advantages is helping our youth do something different so you don't see what we're seeing. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Total Michigan, where we interview ordinary Michiganders doing some pretty extraordinary things. I'm your host, Cliff Duvinois. Today, this introduction is going to take me a minute, so just sit back and relax. We got an award-winning author with us today of 11 books, and you probably know some of the books, some of our early ones, actually, uh, Juice Box Bully, empowering kids to stand up to others, as well as Spaghetti and a Hot Dog Bun which makes me just want to try that. Okay, having the courage to be who you are. And of course, she's here talking about her latest book, Buddy the Bucket Filler. And she's been featured in the Detroit Free Press, NPR, Fox News, Time, and the list goes on and on. She owns her own publishing company. And if she wasn't busy enough with her husband and kids, she's running a nonprofit. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Maria Desmondi. Maria, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me. That was really fun. And if I was having a bad day, I would just need you to say that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have this on audio so you can listen to it as many times as you want. Bad day play. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Let's talk about you. What do you want to know? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Michigan, in Canton, Michigan. Okay. okay. And then I went to Michigan State University. And then now I'm in Novi. So what did you study when you went to Michigan State? Elementary education and English as a double major. And I thought I was going to be a teacher for my entire life. What made you think you were going to be a teacher? Because I played teacher my <laughs> all the time when I was little. And Everybody's I loved playing it. the house. You're playing school. I was playing school and I loved it. And I loved children. And I thought that you went to school and you became something. And that's what you did for the rest of your life. So you get out of college. Now, did you actually become a teacher? I did, and I loved it. So I taught for 11 years, and that's where I went on the journey of writing a children's book was when I was in the classroom. Oh, interesting. Okay, now, had it always been your thought to write a book? No. No, apparently, I don't have plans. They just come to me. <laughs> come to me. No, I, you know, I, I taught in Plymouth Canton, and my classroom was super diverse. I had a lot of Indian American students. They were so kind. Their families invited me to their home for dinners. They gifted me saris, these beautiful gowns. They would send in food with their children to give to me. I mean, they were just these amazing humans. And so I always, when I chose books to read to my students, I wanted to make sure I was representing the whole picture of my classroom. And it was really difficult in the year 2006 when I got this idea. A lot of books that talked about courage and these character traits featured teddy bears and dinosaurs and cats. There wasn't a lot of realistic fiction at the time. And I thought, huh, maybe I should write a book that talks about courage and is from the perspective of a real human child. Okay. And has a diverse classroom. And so that's what I did. So your first book. Spaghetti and a hot dog bun. So I got to ask the question because I was reading up on spaghetti and a hot dog bun. Is that semi-autobiographical? Semi, yes. It. This is my hair, and we're at the end of summer right now. It's huge. And yes, I was teased for my big hair. I was teased for the weird foods that I ate, which I still do. Yeah, it really, it, it sparked the inspiration for the story. 
It really did. I was teased for who I was, and I tried to change to make other people like me, and that didn't work because I am who I am. And so, yeah, that's where the story was inspired from, definitely. And my mom really did give me spaghetti and a hot dog bun for lunch, and I loved it. And she had to duplicate it. But the reason she gave it to me initially was because she didn't have any bread. So she thought, okay, well, I'll put my leftover spaghetti in a hot dog bun and she'll eat it. (laughs) So quirky. Oh, I love that. So you had the idea for spaghetti and a hot dog bun. You put it together in a book. Sales take off. You have gotten a lot of love for this book online. I checked Amazon and it's like 2,900 plus four and five star reviews. Yeah, it might be around. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think teachers and families just connected with the character because she is in this situation where someone's being unkind to her and then that person needs help and she knows the right thing to do is to help him. So I think people can connect with that. And again, like I said, in 2006, when I wrote it, 2008, when it was released, there weren't a lot of realistic fiction books. Sure. So it made a name for itself. And even today, after writing 11 books, I, I don't think it's the, the, the most well done book of mine by any means, but it's still selling more than any other title. Were you really prepared for the reception that you got from this book? No, I was not. And... Uh, My dad was mad that I quit teaching, that I resigned from teaching because he said, how are you going to have health insurance? And I said, I'll figure it out. But I started to realize, gosh, I can write and speak at schools and I can make an income that is very close to what I was making as a teacher um, and do less work. And at the time we were starting a family. And so I just took the risk, which it's a big risk. And my husband believed in me. So that was helpful. We were living in a one bedroom home at the time. And I found out I was pregnant right when the book was about to come out. So it was a big risk to do this and to leave that income. But we did it. And you talked before about speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've been to a lot of schools talking about your book. How important was that to getting people to buy your book? I don't know if it was so important to getting people to buy my book, but it was getting the message of the book into the world. Ah, That was my goal, and I'm not really sure how people bought the book. Maybe they heard about it from their friends. We have surveyed people, and word of mouth has always been our number one answer on how people find our books. But right before COVID, I had a really busy lineup the year before, and I think it was in four weeks, I was in front of almost like fifteen to 20,000 children wow. with speaking in schools with the message of these books. So that to me is, whoa, I know the world is really big and people get overwhelmed. What can I do to make a difference? But I really felt the needle moving when I was going into schools. Yeah. If you're talking in front of 20,000 people, that's a lot. And little people, like little friends who are growing up and who are going to be our (laughs) leaders and they're going to be raising other humans and they're going to be shaping our world. So it just felt really important to me. And I love my job. When did you start doing the speaking engagements? First book in 2008. I started doing the speaking engagements in 2008. And where did the idea for doing speaking engagements come from? Being a teacher. Yeah. So I had been a teacher sitting in the room when authors had come in. I was part of helping to find authors and I saw the crazy prices that we were paying. And I thought I could do this for a lot less because I'm not as experienced, but I can totally do this. And what was it like going out and giving that first presentation? 
it was scary, but I'm not afraid of risk. I got the adrenaline going and everything, but I think the hardest part is I like to get feedback. And so I have to like per- mentally prepare myself for constructive feedback. But that's what really helped me to become the speaker I am today is from those teachers sure. giving that feedback to me. And so you've got spaghetti in a bun out there. Oh, that's right. And you've got 10 other books that are out there. You've reached, you've released the, was it the Pink Tierra? Yeah. Pink Tierra Cookies for Three. A lot of them are from my personal experiences. So I grew up in a neighborhood and it was the three of us. There was three friends and one always felt left out. And it seems as though I have my own children now. It seems as though I can see that threesome is like a, is a tricky, it's Uh, a triangle. Um, So I guess I take my own personal experiences and put them into these realistic fiction stories. And where do you say to yourself, hey, I think this would be a good idea for a book? I actually do my research and I look to see if there's anything like it out there. Okay. And I make sure that if there is, I'm doing it differently. And really the goal is that there isn't anything out there like that. And that's when you release it. And between all these books and the speaking engagements that you're doing, just a ballpark number, how many of these speaking engagements do you think you've done over the last, what, 15, 16 years? Yeah, I'm not sure what the answer is, but if you take 10 years and I was doing about 60 a year. Whoa. Huh? Nice. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. It was really tiring too. I actually, I got to the point where I was like, ooh, I'm tired. This is tiring. And <laughs> I said I wasn't going to do them again. And so I, it's been about two or three years that I've done speaking, like, in school speaking engagements, but I recently got an offer for a school that was two miles from my house. And I said, how can I turn this down? So I'm back in it. Yeah. Very short commute there. Yeah. (laughs) I'm back. And on top of all of this, as you're going about and releasing these books, at some point you decided to start a publishing company. Yes, again, not in the plan. So I hope people are hearing the theme in this. Don't plan out your life because (laughs) you can have these awesome detours that you go down and they take you to great places. Yeah, I really, I was getting tired of the limelight. Me, 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 me. Like that's not who I am. So I thought, what if I could teach others and give this gift to others? And so I started Cardinal Rule Press. I don't, I think the year... I'm not going to be able to give you the year, maybe 2015, 2016. And people submit their manuscripts to us, and we have a team of individuals who look through them, and we decide what we're going to publish. And so it's really great because I'm allowing other people to use their voices and experiences and get those messages into the world. And your latest book, Buddy the Bucket Filler. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so... Again, I was walking the dogs. We have two dogs. And I was telling my husband about a mentor friend of mine. And she was a publisher as well. And she had called me about some technical issues she was having. And we were talking and she just said how she was tired and she was thinking about retiring and she wasn't sure what to do with her publishing business. So I'm telling this story to my husband as we're just walking. And he said, you should buy it. And I was like, I don't have enough money to buy a publishing company. And he's <laughs> like, you don't pay for it all at once. You Take out a loan. You buy it. So I bought it. So I bought her company. So the bucket filler (laughs) books are from Carol McLeod. She used to live in Michigan, and now she lives in Florida. And so in July of last year, I bought her company. She retired. And she said, you know what? I think we should do a book together. And so that's where this book was born. 
And what's the idea behind the book? Yeah, so bucket filling is the idea that Carol got many years ago at a conference. She was inspired that we all walk around with these invisible buckets. So I actually want to turn to the page that shows you what kind of you want to imagine as you're going through life. So here we are. We're at a restaurant. You can see all these invisible buckets. So everyone has this invisible bucket. And there's hearts and stars when you're feeling good. You've got good thoughts and feelings. And sometimes your bucket is empty. And that's when you don't have those good thoughts and feelings. So the whole concept around bucket filling is that when you do and say nice things to others and to yourself, you're filling your bucket and it's full. So it's a visual for children. And when you're not kind to others, you're dipping into their bucket and you're taking those things away from someone. And if you're not kind to yourself, you're taking things away from yourself. And then there's also a lid. You can put a lid. Those are like the boundaries we can set for ourselves and we can help others to set as well. So Carol, her and I both published our first books around the same time from the same publisher. So we have known each other for years and the bucket filling concept went crazy and her books alone have sold 3 million copies. Nice. Yes. And so that's where we. she said, I want to write a book with bucket filling. And I said, you've never written a realistic fiction book. So let's combine my craft with yours on bucket filling. And that's where this book came in. Absolutely love that. For our audience, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. And when we come back, Maria is going to continue to dazzle us with the life of a writer and all the goodies that comes with it. We'll see you after the break. Are you enjoying these amazing stories? Michigan is full of people that are doing some pretty extraordinary things. If you want these amazing stories sent directly to your inbox, head over to TotalMichigan.com, enter your email address, and get them today. What are you going to get? I'm glad you asked. First, you're going to join our awesome Michigan community. Second, you will get an email that includes the top five interviews from the show sent directly to your inbox. Third, you're going to get exclusive behind-the-scenes information about the show. There's a lot of things that are happening to grow this movement beyond the confines of just a radio show and a podcast. You'll get advance notice of upcoming guests and early access to their interviews. Now, to get all these goodies, just head over to TotalMichigan.com join. Enter your email address and join our awesome community today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Total Michigan, where we interview ordinary Michiganders doing some pretty extraordinary things. I am your host, Cliff Duvenois. Today, we're chatting with award-winning author Maria Desmondi. Just real quick, I have to give a shout-out to the people at Charlotte News Books in Frankenmuth for allowing us to use their place to record today. So make sure to show them a little bit of love when you're going through Frankenmuth. Maria, so before the break, we were talking about Buddy the Bucket Filler. And you were actually telling me some interesting facts, actually, about the book. And I want to make sure that we capture those for the audience. So if you would, share with us those facts. Yes, I think it's important to note that the book is actually set on a cherry farm in Michigan. So both the author and I, Carol and I, both grew up in Michigan and live in Michigan. Well, lived for her. And yeah, so we thought it was really important to bring a part of Michigan into the story. Now, is this bringing Michigan in your stories? Is this something unique to this book or has it been a theme throughout your other books as no, well? No, it actually is unique to this book. And as authors, we like to, to add what we call an author's wink into our stories. It's something special. So actually, my dogs are in this story. <laughs> And if you per and if you purchase or go to the library and get spaghetti and a hot dog bun, there's a cardinal that's hidden on almost all the pages. So those are author winks couple secrets to share with your audience. Ooh, there. and what does the Cardinals stand for? 
traditionally a cardinal is a reminder of someone that you lost. And yeah, and so I always loved cardinals. So I put it in my first book and I named them a company after them. And if you didn't have enough on your plate already, here we go with the nonprofit. Talk to us. What is the nonprofit? What is it about? Many years ago, my girlfriend um, and I, Meg Keys, we started making spirits bright. And we just knew that we were blessed in our lives and we wanted to do something for others. And then life, we, we worked on it for a couple of years. Life took over. We put it aside. And so more recently, I just said, you know what? I want to bring this back, but I want it focused on books. So Making Spirits Bright is a nonprofit here in Michigan, and we are dedicated to getting books into the hands of children who don't have access to stories. A lot of times you hear them called book deserts. So we're trying to go into those deserts where they don't have books and fill them. And we're right now, I we're partnering with some really cool partners in Detroit, two different partners that I can't mention yet, but if you check out non, our uh, nonprofit, you'll find out soon. But we are doing book donations, book drives. We're getting books and we're sorting them and we're, don't, we're distributing them. And it's really great. So you just give away the books. Yes. And I'm hoping that we can also provide tutoring with that. So I'm just in the beginning phases of redeveloping it. And it literally keeps me up at night. And I can't stop thinking about it. And it's joyful. So you said you said something around the fact that as if you didn't have enough on your plate. I I thrive on these things and they bring me such joy. It's not, it doesn't feel like work. And so you talked about the whole podcast is about and the whole show is about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Like these people aren't doing them to be extraordinary. They're doing them because they they feel this joy doing these things. Certainly. Yeah. And that's actually the next question that I want to ask is because you do have a lot on your plate. Yes. Between writing books, publishing books, your nonprofit, you've got three kids? Three kids, two dogs, a husband who's awesome. Yeah. But I have a team. I've built a business with a team, and so I'm not alone, and volunteers with the nonprofit and a focus, right? So I have core values and Anything that kind of is outside of those core values, it's easy to say no. So then how did you go about putting your team together? Slowly but surely, I the first distri- distributor that I worked with said, tell me about your team. And I said, there isn't a team. And they said, you can't be doing this by yourself. And I said, oh, I am. And at that point, <laughs> when I got off the phone, I was like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this myself. So I started with a virtual assistant, and then it just grew from there. But everyone that I work with is remote. We have some interns from U of M, Michigan State, Ohio State right now. And our team, no one on our team is full-time. So everyone is doing what brings them joy with Cardinal Rule Press, but then a lot of my team members are also running side gigs too, these creative businesses of their own. Got you. And how has your experience with the virtual assistants been going? Good. Really good. Yeah. Communication. I think it's hard to be a team where you're meeting on Zoom, but that's all I've ever known. And it works for me as a mom because I'm always there for my kids. I'm at home when I'm working. and So... One of the things that typically comes up, especially if you're building a team, because I'm starting to understand now how your book business is being structured. Some of the hardest things to do is when you first get that first assistant, because you're so used to when you're doing everything yourself, you can control everything. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now you're bringing somebody in. So the first question I got for you is I know that there's a, a key difference between hiring a virtual assistant in the States 
versus overseas. Yeah. So you said you've got assistants that are at U of M in, in Ohio State. So clearly you're in the U.S. No, I have some out of the country as well. Oh, interesting. I do. The first virtual assistant I ever hired She's still with me today, Lisa May, and she's in the Philippines. And the reason I hired her is because I had a friend who was already working with her for many years. So I brought Lisa May onto the team. And I have trust issues, and she's a loving, caring person. Well, you're an entrepreneur. We all have trust issues. She's a loving, caring person, and I make a lot of mistakes in my life. I never went to school to be a business owner. I've made so many ridiculous mistakes. So when I bring on team members and they do make mistakes, it's like, a no-brainer to me. So I'm not one of those people who's, oh my gosh, they made a mistake. They're a bad hire. So it's been easy for me in the fact that when people make mistakes, it's okay. But I have hired a few people that haven't worked out because once again, I'm having to learn all these things through podcasts and through audiobooks. Like how do you how am I supposed to be a business owner? How do I run a pro- nonprofit? So it's all education, learning and trying, trial and error. Hey, experience is a great teacher. Yeah, sure. When you're going out and getting your first VA, mm-hmm. the lady that you hired from the the Philippines. Uh, Philippines, Lisa May. Yep. What were some of the responsibilities that you gave her? Areas that were my weaknesses. So spreadsheets and numbers, things that I really didn't have in my wheelhouse. So taking my strengths, keeping my strengths with me, and then giving her my weaknesses. And what are some of the other jobs and tasks that you've come up with along the way? Because I usually, when I talk to an author, Mm -hmm. spreadsheets doesn't come up. No. And it's all about the words. It's all about paper, pencil. Well, because if authors want their books to sell, you have to market. And marketing includes spreadsheets. Stop, stop, stop. Marketing is a Marketing, what is this? I know. (laughs) Yeah, I've had a lot of really good mentors along the way who've taught me that writing is a business. And if you're doing writing for a hobby, that's wonderful. But you might not sell books unless you're one of these amazing people I'm looking at, like James Patterson or something. Oh, that that could be a whole other podcast right there. I don't even want to. Yes. <laughs> don't even want to roll down that road. Yeah. I, I admire his success. I will say that. I'm not putting him down. I admire his success. Do you think that there's any advantage to writing children's books over adult books? I do, because I think that you're really connecting with our future. If you look at the current society and things that you'd like to change, I think one way you can do that is by educating youth and gearing them in a different direction. So I do. I think that is one of the biggest advantages is helping our youth do something different so you don't see what we're seeing, like warm winters in Michigan. Oh, my goodness. And the one thing I noticed, too, is that you chose not to, do, not to have a pen name. Correct. You used your real name. Correct. Why did you make that decision? I don't even know, but going back, maybe I would have done a pen name, actually. What's the advantages of that? So then people don't know me when I'm out in public. (laughs) (laughs) Or at the grocery store. You're kind of out there. If you take a look at your Amazon author profile and everything else, you got pictures and Facebook. and and Or when my son Googles me, he learned how to Google. And I think like second grade, he's, mom, I Googled you. And there's a lot of pictures of you out there. So that's, I think, probably even to protect my children too. So if you notice on my social media, my kids are not featured anywhere. I think there might be one picture out there that I'm still trying to take down from a podcast interview I did early on. But I just made it a point that I want their digital footprint to be their own. 
and I don't want it to be developed by their mom. So that's another reason a pen name would have come in handy. What has been some of the most effective marketing that you've done? It's huge. It is so big when it comes to writing books, marketing. And one of the biggest things I think we were talking about it was word of mouth. And so we did surveys. We've done a lot of surveys with our readers. How did you hear about our books? Word of mouth. The big question is, how do we get people talking about your books? So we give books away all the time. We're very generous with our books. We provide free programming for schools and for teachers. So they come on and they hear our author panels and they hear our authors reading stories. We have our books for free on YouTube. So we're not stingy with our books and people start talking about us because we are generous. Another way is grassroots marketing. So social media. We don't pay for a ton of ads. We just started doing Facebook ads a few years ago. But besides that, we're grassroots style. We're just posting and authentically sharing and trying to get people to connect with our books. And that is one of the things that I did notice when I was going through your website and taking a look at your books is that it seems like every book that you have written below that, you have a bunch of PDFs. Free. That are free, given away. So the one of them was, I think it was for the juice box bully. There was uh, a thing called The Promise. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good memory, Cliff. See? See? That's great. Yes. (laughs) It was like The Promise. And I I think it was something where like a kid would read that, sign it. Hey, I I promise I'm not going to be a bully or whatever it is and sign their name to it. classrooms use it all the time. And we have our reader's guides that are free because teachers do not want to spend their own money on all these things. And they do because they're amazing. Um, Well, it's not only money, but it's time as well. Money and time to develop all of this. So yes, we develop lesson plans around all of our books. Um, At the beginning of all of our stories, we have questions for parents and caregivers um, on the copyright page. So I know I'm really tired at night. I usually check out around 738. But if I'm reading a book to my child, I can go a little bit deeper and I don't have to think of the questions because they're here for me. So in all of our books, we provide questions to ask before, during, and after reading, because it's great to read a story, but if you want to take it to the next level, questioning with children is huge. So these are just some of the things that we've done that have worked to get people talking about our stories. I'd also think, too, that would be a great way for parents and kids to engage with a book rather than just read it and say, okay, night, night, you Yeah, the stories start to come out when you ask questions. Oh, how can you connect with the character? Like in the Juice Box Bully, how can you connect with the character? Oh, someone at school said something to me today, and I felt like they were bullying me. You just never know. And those questions, correct, they help engage the adult and child. So I'm loving the creativity for this. And what you're doing is unique because I haven't seen that before. Where did the idea come from? This specific idea before, during, and after, I did it as a teacher. I don't know. I learned it as a teacher that when you read to children, you should ask questions before, during, and after. I don't know who, maybe my teachers at Michigan State University. I'm not sure. But to actually incorporate that into a book. I don't know. Maybe, I'm not sure. I wonder if Dolly Parton's imagination does that. They might do that. I don't know. So I got to ask, what is Dolly Parton's imagination? Dolly Parton has this book system where she sends a book to the child, to children ages zero to five, one book per month until they're five years old. And my children were part of that. And I don't know if she did before, during, and after. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. But I also think a copyright page is pretty ugly. And so this kind of jazzes it up as well. <laughs> yeah, it is. Use every page that you can It's all real get. estate. It's all real estate. It is. It is all real estate. So what's next? 
What is next? I know you just came out with uh, Buddy the Bucket Filter. Yeah. Filler. We have some really great titles coming out next year that we're super excited about. A story about choice. That's a, a little girl and a military family story. We have some really great things coming up. A, another one, a foster family. And yeah, and, and it's so cool because I can curate these books by simply saying to our acquisitions editor, we need a book about foster families because there's not enough books out there that are quality books about what children go through and what does the family go through. And so his eyes are open looking for these things. So Just what's... the fact that you have an acquisition editor is a testament to how much you've learned. Yes. Yes. Kudos to you. Thank you. What is next? I believe in growth. And so this year I have been traveling to different trade shows and Given that we're really small, it's been scary. I said I wasn't afraid, but it has been scary and intimidating being with some of these really big publishers at these events. But I went to something called the ABA, American Booksellers Association, ALA. Those are librarians. I'm expanding. That's next level for me. Maria, if somebody is listening to this interview and they want to get your books, they want to check out more, especially all those like yummy free resources that you give away with your books as well, where's the best place for them to do that? I say go to our website, support a small business. However, if you have a bookstore in your area, you should always go to your local bookstore. I think supporting these indie bookstores is really important. And yeah, our website has all those free things on it. And if you don't have access, you don't have the money to buy the books, you go to your library because libraries are amazing, or you go on YouTube and you can hear our stories. Maria, thank you so much for taking time out to chat with us today. Really do appreciate it. I thank you, Cliff. And once again, I do want to give a shout out to the people at uh, Charlotte's Used Bookstore and Frankenmuth for letting us film here today. And as usual, you can always roll on over to TotalMichigan.com, click on Maria's interview, and get all the links that she mentioned above. We'll see you next week when we talk to another Michigander doing some pretty extraordinary things. We'll see you then.